Welcome to the Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Float Your Boat. I'm George Sabados and... I'm Brett Pattinson. Brett, who do we have on today? Today we have uh, a lovely lady named Cindy Lucan. You mean... The Lucan from Lucan and May? Yes, I think so. Right. That's one of her many businesses. She's a, I think what you'd call her a serial entrepreneur, wouldn't you really? Well, if there are, I mean, that's a, that's a cliche, but, uh, but that's exactly what she is, right? Because she's, she's invested um, a lot of time and effort into several business iterations, hasn't she? She has indeed. And I think her new business um, is probably going to be the biggest and best of all. Really? I think so. I think she's got a a great product. She's figured out the best model for business. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's all tied up, really, with um, good, natural, organic products. Sounds like she's a smart woman. Let's get her on board. Yeah, so uh, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Ms. Cindy Lucan. Yes. Competitive, are you? (laughs) Just slightly. Yeah. And I think... Um, Tell I think, us a little bit about your... Uh, when you were growing up. We were, you know, latched door kids at, at five. So I'd take myself off to school then. I'd come home and no one was there. And I think it was just that um, that need or that, you know, my mum, you know, getting me to do things early in life that just gave me an ability to um, to want to help, to, um, to want to, you know, get a better life, I suppose. And, um, and that's just always been with me. So when we moved from Melbourne to Newcastle, I think I was about seven or eight, or to Lake Macquarie, seven or eight. And, um, and I think, you know, I was a little bit fortunate because I was, I think, five foot eight when I was in fifth class. So, yes, oh rather tall. <laughs> I had the same size, I had the same size foot that I have now. Wow. And um, I had a bit with my fifth uh, year teacher that, um, wow. that I wouldn't grow to six foot and I never did. So I still have to claim that hundred bucks from him. So, yes, I was competitive. <laughs> and, um, and I think that just put me in good stead for being a good, um, a good athlete. So I could, you know, I could run fast. I could play basketball and, and, um, and, you know, mum didn't want us in the house we always were outside and um and so I think that just um that just sort of shaped and formed me so yeah so even in school as a um you know doing athletics I um you know from running I did you know state athletics for three years um as in got to state three years running I was um you know sportswoman of the year um in class um you know I did well I wasn't a a ducks or anything but I, I worked really hard to to make sure that I good marks and um, you know I wanted to be a friendly person. I think I wanted to be I wanted to be liked, mm. um, and um, yeah, that was just me. But I just always had this determination that um, that I wanted to better myself, and I you know I suppose that's a result of my upbringing. Um, but I've got to say, when I met um, my husband, I was 24 and he was 12 years older than me. Um, he I was just going I was working at. Um, Sarah Lee developing food products, so the ice cream right. range, sticky date pudding, stuff like that, because I'd studied getting bigger. <laughs> oh, no, it was just you know, little bites, but I was always active. I was always walking. I was always out and about yeah. doing stuff, so it wasn't an issue. But when, um, when I met him, so I'd studied food science. Um, it's my background, food science and nutrition. And when I met him, he worked. He had his own business. He worked really, really hard. 
um, from very early in the morning to late at night, but only nine months of the year. The other three months of the year, he would be climbing mountains, sailing Sydney to Hobart, doing regret, you know, sailing regattas around the world. So funny that you got float the boat. Yeah. And um, like and um, I just went, oh my god, I want a life like you. I want to be in control of what it is that I'm doing. I want to be in control of that ability to earn an income and earn what I called freedom tickets because it's at Sarah Lee I'd been there and I went for my salary increase and I got a 3% salary increase. I think it went from you know 28 to 30,000. I just thought, oh my God, how long is it going to take me to get some decent money to be able to go do things that just look so exciting out there in the world? And um, so... It was seeing a different world and a different life and a different way to manage yourself um, that, you know, my husband, who, you know, we're still married now after 23, 24 years, that, um, that I just went, I want my own business. Mm. And so then it was a matter of working out what is it that I'm good at and how can I utilize those skills to create a, um, a business? And, um, and if you look at it, what was my first business? Baking biscuits. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because, I mean, I'd been at Sarah Lee, so I knew how to make cakes and I knew how to make pastries. We didn't make biscuits there. Um, but I looked at the market and I just went, what's an easy product to make? And it was biscuits. It's a low-risk product. You're never going to kill anyone making a biscuit. Yeah. And when you actually looked at the biscuits back in early um, in the early 90s um, or mid-90s, um, if you were in a hotel, if you are in the airlines, they were um, Arnott's. Right? So there was nothing very chefy about them. And you've got to remember back there in the 90s is when, you know, the Neil Perry's, the Rock Pools, all the wonderful chefs were coming through. And Australia was really changing um, its perception on food and was starting to get a reputation. So there's nothing that all these groovy chefs and all these, you know, pla- you know places with, you know, potentially big volumes of product consumption um, were using. And the local stuff was either handmade. Um, or it was coming in from overseas. And, of course, your large places, you know, like the airlines, um, they couldn't purchase those products because there was no HACCP and quality control behind them. And there were no standards in industry then. And so I came in with this whole food science background, Sara Lee background, and went, I want to make homemade-looking biscuits, but I want to put them in a factory that's got HACCP quality control in place. So I outsourced the manufacturing and, voila, there was a biscuit company. Um, It wasn't quite that easy because when I went into business, I had – no money to go into business, so I didn't know how to afford the stock or, or any of that. But you came from a like a, a non-entrepreneurial background. Oh my right. god, totally! So, my dad was um, well, my dad who um, left was a um, a truck driver. Right. I um, mean, his own boat business, where he'd once again boats would um, <laughs> <laughs> would um, haul you know take his um, boats across the yeah exactly <laughs> across the um, the country. But my mum was a school teacher, and my right. stepfather was a university professor. So we are talking absolute socialists. We are talking mm. sit down for breakfast and dinner at the table. We are talking. I'm not allowed to go to Pony Club because that's elitist. Yep. People have too much money to go to Pony Club. Um, so yeah, very. Different background. And we used to raging against the machine, and, uh, <laughs> and then you became the machine. But, uh, but 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 I'm really interested in how you made that that. What were some of your key obstacles and and key learnings in the early days? I mean, you you didn't fall into uh, baking by accident. You actually sat down. And you thought, well, what am I good at? And that's that I, seems I like did, a logical approach. Yeah. Okay. The reason um, I look. Number one thing is I absolutely love food. Okay, so I probably should have said that I wanted to um, I wanted to be a chef, yeah. um, but I also wanted to go to university. So I wanted a degree. So that was probably that competitiveness again. Mm. It was this sort of you know trying to put a you know a, you know stake in the ground, but wanting something. 
and um, to, to help define me. And um, and so I ended up doing the um, the science degree. And during that, it was just like, oh my god, this is you know so hard, and this is actually a bit boring. But within there, I discovered product development. I just went, oh my gosh, I love product development. I love this product creation. I love identifying an opportunity in the marketplace and then going and creating that and delivering it. I love the whole structure and process and the critical path behind that. So that's why I ended up at Sarah Lee because it was about developing products. It was just by luck that it was a it was bakery. But prior to Sarah Lee, I'd actually gone and I'd chefed for two years at a, at a major, at a, not a major, but a caterer that was helping to transform you know, the whole of the Sydney food scene. And I mean, she was a, an amazing woman. So it was that ability to identify what it is that I loved and what it is that I was good at that put me into my first business, Baking Biscuits if that makes sense. I also ended up in that market baking biscuits because, as I said to you, I identified that it was a low-risk product to make. Mm. I also um, um, you know, identified that the market was boring, therefore there was potential, and that there was a big opportunity in that market because I just spoke about the airlines and you know the hotels. And you think, how many hotels are there in the country? How many people serve biscuits for morning tea? I'm going, ka-chunk, ka-chunk. I mean, we ended up doing um, over a million dollars per year just in the hotels. We ended up doing a couple of million dollars per year through the airlines because, you know, there's a lot of bums on seats that, you know, have biscuits. Yeah, it's not bad um, for, a, for a business born out of your kitchen. Yeah, and do you know what? It was never born in my kitchen because I did one calculation on if I made a batch of biscuits, how many biscuits do I get in that oven, right? And how many biscuits would I produce a day and what income would that produce? And I just went, oh, my God, well, I'm going to be about like I was at Sarah Lee. I'm going to be producing a whole $32,000 per year. That's not going to get me to where I want to go. And so it was from that day and because I wanted to have the quality assurance and therefore be able to sell to those large mm. accounts that I went into a contract manufacturer. Now, did I have the money to pay for stock? Uh, did I want a biscuit that was unique? Yes, I wanted a bite-sized biscuit. They didn't have the equipment. And, um, and I actually had um, a partner at that stage called Sally May because the company was called Lucan and May because it actually never started as a biscuit company. It started as a catering company. Oh, is that right? Yeah, because I knew how to cook. And when you cook, you can get a 50% deposit on your job <laughs> before, yeah. you, um, before you do the job. And so I used that money to then be able to buy the food, to then do the job, and then just slowly built it up. And we used to then make a bite-sized biscuit for the Petty Four Plate. And it was that bite-sized biscuit for the Petty Four Plate that ended up being the starter biscuit for Luke and May Biscuits. So do you, do you think that it was a timing thing? Oh, absolutely. Ab- the t- it was absolutely about time. Because we have, a, oh, sorry, we have this, this running bet yep. that uh, I believe that people make their own luck. Right. Create their own timing. Yep. Brett thinks it's all about luck and timing. I'm with you, Brett. Absolutely, oh, totally. No. I'm sorry, George. Oh, totally, because if we, if, if that, that if that whole industry, if it had already been um, established with quality assurance and HACCP control, yes, the. Um, then a lot of people would have been doing what we were doing. But I went in there and took homemade and delivered it with specifications. What happened then is towards the end of 2000, early, uh, end of 19, 1990s, early 2000, was mandatory to have, to have HACCP. Um, quali- yeah, so HACCP is, yeah, HACCP is a quality control system. So it was mandatory for food companies to then have a, um, um, a quality assurance program in place. blocked a lot of other potential blocked uh, a lot of other lo- Blocked a lot of other potential startups, but it also um, meant that people were 
making sure they got certified. So your Byron Bay biscuits then got certified, your Mother Megs then got certified. You know, so then the competition was increasing, mm. and um, and so you know I got the business to um, a five million um, turnover when I was going to get the business to a five million dollar turnover. I was then going to sell it, and so we sold it in two thousand and three to Stuart Alexander. But just going back to that timing, I think the current business that I've got, which is called Luke Beauty Food, in which we make lipstick from food, it's an exactly the same situation. We are talking about the dynamics of the market again mm. that are all mm. lining up. We are talking about consumers are swapping in droves to buying online. They now have confidence to purchase online. We are talking about the whole definition of beauty changing. People are aware of what goes on and in their um, their bodies. So they've been swapping over to um, you know healthier food, to living a healthier lifestyle. And now you know we're starting to educate women on, well, if you're doing that, then why are you putting crap on your skin? Because what goes on goes in. Mm. Um, and so women are, you know, they're reading, they're learning because there's so many bloggers online that are giving them the ins and outs of what those ingredients are um, and they've got easy access to that information. And so, you know, all the stars are lining up again in terms of, you know, create a product that you can sell online that helps women feel good about themselves um, and, and delivers on, on the attributes they're, they're looking for, which is the toxin-free. Then if you overwrap that with, for example, my philosophy in life, which is, you know, you know, do what it is that you're good at, follow your heart, then you as an individual, you as a woman will start to radiate and start to, to shine because you're not comparing yourself with anyone else. You're actually doing what you love and because you love it, you actually do it well, which then is this sort of self-fueling um, fire. That's my definition and that's my, um, my whole concept around natural beauty. <clears throat> and so if you're a woman and you, you feel like that, you don't need a whole lot of makeup. You, you can strip it back down. And guess what? You don't have to spend an hour or two hours in front of the mirror. And you don't have to go to the nail parlor every week. And you don't have to go and get your legs, whatever you get done to them. Because you imagine all that time it takes to beautify yourself. You can be out climbing mountains, swimming in oceans, doing amazing stuff that naturally make you healthy and glow and, and feed your own self-confidence. So it's just it's a def different definition of natural beauty. And that's where... You know, I agree with you that it's yeah. just it's the right timing at the moment to get those messages think, out there. And I think that that's what's happening with what with the new product because mm -hmm. I come from that background. Well, not lipsticks yep. and makeup, but skincare. Yep. And when we started Bod, it was the right timing yep. for organic skincare. Now I look around at the market, and the market's flooded with with organic skincare. To start a skincare business now, unless you had something very unique and remarkable, it would be very hard to cut through. Whereas with what you're doing, that's a little bit different. It is a little bit different. And I also, you know, put my hat on and said, well, I'm not sure if you know, but I've been making lipstick made from food for, um, once again, outsourced the contract manufacturing, but my initial formulations concepts um, for the last four years. Um, and it's been a home business. And I've got it to a certain point. I've got it to a couple of hundred thousand dollars turnover where I'm doing, you know, the picking, the packing, the, you know, the photography. I've got a, a friend of mine, Sue Ellen, who came in and she's been the digital expert and, and I invested money in it and put on a you know, fantastic designer so that we had the right positioning. But I got it to that point and I've waited almost for the market to, to catch up. There's no point trying to catch a wave if it's way ahead of you because you're paddling so bloody hard to get there. So I've just waited until everything feels right. And it was honestly the beginning of last year when um, a friend of mine that um, 
contacted me to say, hey, I'm putting together my, you know, my business strategy firm and um, um, capital raising firm. Um, you know, this is what I'm doing. And um, he sent an email out and I just thought, oh, I might have a chat to him because I'm in this position where I'm either going to, you know, put a lot of money into it and use my own money or I'm going to go, you know, raise some capital or I'm just going to keep it as a little home business. I need to make a decision and I need someone that's an expert that can help me have that conversation. Mm. I'd put a business plan together already because that's sort of a bit easy for me with my background. Um, He took one look at it and he said, Cindy, this is an amazing opportunity. You know, I reckon the business is valued at between two and three million. He said, let's go raise a couple of million. And I just went, what? And so I did. And I thought, I'm going to go catch the wave. And I'm right in the middle of (laughs) catching the wave and building a team so, so that I have a team. I invest in a team of people to help put the brand out there. And I invest in the marketing to make sure the messaging gets out there. Because, yeah, the market's starting to get busy now. But that's Mm. got good momentum. It's nice momentum. So we can catch the wave and ride that in. So so once again, timing is everything, George. Because if you think about it, if you were too far ahead of the timing, you could fail. Absolutely. But you, but the and time too far behind, you can't catch up. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Correct. Because there's that, that, that curve, as they say. But, you know, I think you've been good at this. Do you think that's a key strength that you've always had? Absolutely. Or do you think it's just a luck thing again? Uh, no, 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 no. I think it's, as I said, I love product development. So I can identify opportunities. So I identified this opportunity 10 years ago. I started making lipstick in my kitchen 10 years ago just after my first was born because I'd sold the biscuit company and, like, you can't keep – I can't just sit there doing nothing. Mm. And, um, and I did some due diligence on a, um, a body care business for a friend of mine who bought the Arnaud brand. Yeah. And I, it was during that time I was doing the due diligence that I saw how lipstick was made and it just planted in my mind. Mm. Well, and, tell, us, um, tell us how it is made, just quickly. Right. As, oh, as right. Inside, like, what's in it? Oh, well, see that, yeah, great question. Because what's in lipstick um, are fats and oils and waxes and colours and flavours. So to me, that said food. And when I'd seen this lipstick being made in the factory, when I was doing due diligence, I was intrigued enough to go and look up how lipstick was made and what was in there. And when I realised that they were the core ingredients, I just went, so why use petroleum oils when you could use avocado oils and sesame seed oils? Why Why use, um, you know, those waxes when you could use beeswax and plant waxes? Because it all came back down to cost. cost. It all came back down to consistency of production. It all came back down to that's what had always been done. Nobody had stability. Nobody had questioned it. So I honestly um, went and contacted a couple of supply companies, got every oil I could possibly think of, every wax I could possibly think of. I got all the natural colour pigments that I could get my hands on. I got all the essential oils and I started to blend back in 2006 and make those products. And it wasn't until 2008 that I then um, started speaking to contract manufacturers about um, making of a lipstick from food and my concept of making a 100% natural product. I also realised my limitations in trying to colour a product to look Right, all I was sitting in was the neutral um, nudes and neutrals palette. But I also thought, you know what, that aligns with my philosophy of natural beauty. Just put a little touch of colour on, a little sheen. Mm. So that could be a nice starting point. Let's not go mm. too heavy duty in the mm. makeup arena because I don't really wear makeup. Mm. Um, and um, 
And so that's how the lipstick was um, first started. And I thought it was going to be an easy process to get it up and running. You know, we failed on the packaging. We failed on compatibility testing. We failed on lots of stuff. And meanwhile, I had two kids, a 10-month and a two-and-a-half-year-old. And, a and um, my husband and I had made a, um, not a deal, but we basically said when the, we've got two kids pumped out that we'd go sail around the world sailing again look at that you know when we when we did have those kids in in, in um you know in you? nappies <laughs> well we've done that when we did have those kids oh. in nappies we realized that sailing around the world was not such a good idea the boats sink there's nappies there's sand there's oh, it's not going to work so we um we decided that barging in france would be a much better idea and we went and lived on a barge for 18 months um with the two kids i imagined that my lipsticks would be ready I'd have a website up and running, and at night time after I put the kids to bed and Australia woke up, I'd be selling my lipstick online. So what actually happened? I just shelved it. It was just all too hard, and I just thought, this is ridiculous. Let's just enjoy the time doing this. And so it wasn't until I then got back um, and spent some time getting the product you know, in looking right and you know, everything set up behind it and getting a website built that from 2012 we then... Um, and then you know slowly launched online as a you know a small home based business, so there's a pretty big wave, and there's no point hurrying honestly because the market wasn't that ready for it, <coughs> and I wasn't you know I wasn't ready for it, and my focus was um, was on my kids because I, I I have a personal philosophy of if you're going to do something you're going to do something sure. well, and I didn't sell my business and have kids to then start another business and not be with them, so I wanted to get those kids into school. And um, and then you know gradually increase the hours. So they then you know got into school. They then you know had time to you know become kids, and you know I'd worked there for between the nine and three. And um, and so now the kids are you know in you know five fifth class and third class, and that's why now and last year I then did the the capital race. So once again that was timing. That was all about hey See, it's George. coming together. See yep. what did I tell you? <laughs> See, so well I have to say you're you're not the average bear. <laughs> I, I, would, I would have to say that the average person who wishes and dreams of being an entrepreneur doesn't understand timing, doesn't think about it, doesn't do the due diligence that you did. Uh, you know, but, but, and, in, yeah, but within and, that and possibly timing. doesn't have the overriding confidence that you you you've exhibited. I mean, I'm guessing that your competitive nature makes you a little bit more confident about your abilities than someone who's more passive. I've I have. Um, you know, 18 years of dealing with franchisees. They're not the most entrepreneurial lot because they're sold this dream that if you buy our model, you'll be successful without having to really try. That, that's a business to... owner. That's not an entrepreneur. Correct. There's a big difference. I agree with you. And that's... Uh, uh, that's but there's how... a lot of entrepreneurs as well. Yeah, I couldn't well, agree. Entrepreneurs. I mean, yep. yes, that's a, that is a, that's a hackneyed term that's being used these days yeah. as well. I mean, oh. what does that mean? What does that mean? Look, look I think yeah. it's funny. You know, when I had my first business and it was the 90s, right, it was entrepreneurial then. The mm. language that we speak in today is no different mm. to the language we spoke in then. But we've got, we've got a few more prefix. More, yeah. We've got more prefixes, yeah. the mumpreneur, the wannapreneur, yeah. the, all this sort of stuff. And you don't forget, we've now got online, mm. right? So the language has been shared more. But it's yeah. no different to, to what we were doing back no, then. No, I agree. But you, you're remarkable in the sense that you made two massive leaps. One, you went from a technician to an entrepreneur. Yep. And, and secondly, you recognised that you, ne you didn't want to be a business owner. 
Absolutely. You wanted to be... Oh, that's right. You actually asked me a question about, um, like, the learnings. So in that, yeah, yeah so in that business, um, Lucan and May, um, yeah, we made biscuits. We had a multi-channel strategy. So we sold to about six different channels. What I mean by that, the distribution channels, we sold to David Jones... Mm-hmm. Gourmet, we're their number one gourmet brand. We do about half a million through there just with biscuits. We sold to the supermarkets. I put a brand called Bite Me and Be Spoiled into Coles. We sell, yeah, that was my brand, Bite Me and Be Spoiled. I, sta- I started the Bite Me craze of that word in Australia. I bit you a lot of times. Right, okay. Oh, thank you. Was it, was it the, um, uh, what was it? The... George is blushing at I'm blushing at George. Keeps was it, was it, it the... Contributed to the machine. <laughs> was, it, was it the wild seed or was it the cherry no. red or... Or no, was the it the fig seed. fetish? I love the, the oh, wild seed. The fig fetish. Oh, <laughs> fig fet- I have Greek background. I love figs. <laughs> Can't get enough. And goats. <laughs> anyhow, anyhow, we also we also sold to gourmet. We also sold to gourmet um, delis. We sold to the gift and homewares yeah. market because we did beautiful tins at Christmas time. So each each channel needed different products. And to be honest, each channel needed a different strategy in how you sold. Mm. And we also sold at a wholesale price. Right, so, and we're also in food, and everyone knows the margins in food are slimmer. I had investors in that business as well, mm. and one of my very wise investors said to me, he said, Cindy, the amount of work you put into this and, you know, and how good you are at this and, and what you do in running a business, if only we were in a different industry, we'd be absolutely rolling in money. And I never forgot that. Then I never forgot what the gentleman, um, a guy called Andrew Maxwell from Chatsworth Associates um, in Melbourne, who's done the capital raise on this business, said to me. He said, Cindy, if you can bottle what you did with Lucan and May, you're going to be a very successful businesswoman in your next adventure. So I suppose one of the reasons it did take me a long time to get to the point where I am on this business mm-hmm. is that I absolutely studied for the opportunity for a product that had a high margin. And, you know, I spoke to you about, you know, the cost of goods on makeup being, you know, around 20%. Absolutely. It's also around that level because don't forget, I do sell direct to the consumer, right? So even though I'm a small business and I don't have those economies of scale, I can still get a good margin out of it. So I looked for that. I looked for lots of a big, big market opportunity. Gourmet biscuits, how many women buy gourmet biscuits? Right, you've got your food service and those channels, but you know, honestly, in a retail environment, how many people buy gourmet biscuits? Not many. Yeah. And if you actually look at how purchase um, purchase types have changed now, they're buying the you know the the protein balls and they're buying yeah. the you know all the other types of products. They're spending money, but they're not the traditional biscuits that are just you know what we were making. Yeah. Um, and I also looked for you know a product that was low risk again. So, you know, my lipsticks, there's no water and there's no water activity, so I don't even need to use preservatives in them. You, you do to, you know, stop the, the fats from going rancid. Um, so it's, it is a relatively easy product to make. So, and I also looked for a product that was ideal, that was small with a high um, um, selling price, so that made an ideal product for selling online. I didn't express that very well, but basically I wanted a small thing that I could pack and ship, easy to post, pop it. That's exactly what we do, that you could pop it in an envelope, and um, but it had a high um, invoice value so that it would create a good basket value. If I was selling gourmet biscuits, I mean, this is a classic example. The cost of goods on my biscuits right, is the same as the cost of goods on my lipstick. Consumers are not going to want to hear this. Um, they're not consumers listening to this anyhow, are they? Yes, hello. Um, sells at tw- so my lipstick sells at twenty four ninety five. That same packet of biscuits sold in David Jones at 
six ninety five for the same cost of goods. And I had to go through there was a margin in there for the retailer. Of course. Yeah. Right. So that's what I looked for in putting together my second business. I looked for the industry. I looked for the sales channel. I looked for simplicity in the sales channel. Mm-hmm. I looked for a product that was low risk. I looked for a product that was small with a high value. I looked I mean I hunted. I hunted, but in the background, I sort of knew all this stuff that was happening because I just love to read. I love to get out there. I love to identify opportunities. And this opportunity just looked like it was getting juicier and juicier and juicier. And you got away from the traditional model where where um, the um, the big retailers were putting the squeeze on manufacturers. I Absolutely. Mean, there used to be a formula of yep. eight. You'd sell eight to ten times cost of goods. Yep. That used to be the old. <laughs> Not in food. As you know, that doesn't happen anymore. Like in in the coffee game, it's yeah. it's. Two times. Right. Two times cost of goods. Right. If you're lucky. That's ridiculous. That's why George wants to get out of the coffee industry. (laughs) I'm also employing a strategy of going direct to the consumer because that's where the margin is. And it's, and you know, I have to circumvent the the big, the the bully boys in the room because they're just forever trying to knock down price. And costs are increasing, wages are high. It's not easy in Australia because our manufacturing costs are high, but I'm take, I take it your product's no longer manufactured in Australia, or is it? It's absolutely manufactured in Australia. It's 100%. clean and green, That's 100%. That's a great plan. Absolutely. It's manufactured in Melbourne and absolutely dedicated. It's the best colourist in Australia. And, um, yes, our packaging comes in from overseas. Yes, some ingredients do, but sure. we've actually started a farm-to-face program at the moment so we can really? have complete transparency on what those ingredients are that are in there and so that people can understand the... You know the, the safety and the clean and greenness so, associated with them. Transparency in the whole model. Transparency, our values, three key values: truth, simplicity, and balance in everything that we do. I like it. So, Cindy, yeah. if people want to have a look at your product yep. now, that because it is mm. an, an online structure, yep. How do they find you? Uh, they find us at lukebeautyfood.com. So Luke is actually L-U-K. So my surname is Lucan, and so the brand is L-U-K. Um, ah. Beauty food with an eye. With an umlaut on With an umlaut, yeah, because yeah. so, my father's German, so that probably has a bit of, back, bit of the background on your bit of determination as well. But, yeah, Luke Beauty Food, L-U-K-B-E-A-U-T-I-F-O-O-D.com. Okay, so a couple more things before we let you go. What floats your boat? It's, we should have asked this question at the start, <laughs> but, I mean, apart from sailing... But what is it? What's your philosophy on life which carries through to business which makes you so successful? Because everybody out there listening, they might be entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs or they want to know how people become successful. Work out what it is that makes you happy because that means you're going to pursue a path of doing things that you're good at and that you get satisfied from. That will then build your confidence. And so each step takes you on a path to um, being, inverted commas, a natural beauty. And it just is is self-evolving. I know it sounds simple, but that's it. Okay. And well, the next question? The next question is, is, at the end of each episode, we usually put, well, we came up with this idea because we interviewed uh, Sally Cameron from uh, an a cappella group called The Idea of North who I don't know if you've heard of, but they're wonderful. Anyway, we put one of their songs on at the end. And so now our last question is, if you had to pick a song, 
what would that song that be? That encapsulated you or your philosophy or your life. Or it can just be a or song that floats your boat. Or made you really happy in the car where you sang at the top of your lungs. Look, I don't have a favourite song. I don't have a favourite style of music. Oh. I was supposed to research this, and I can tell you right now, I took my two kids to Taronga Zoo last week, and we saw Casey Chambers, and at the moment I'm absolutely in love with their latest song, oh. which is Ain't No Little Girl. Okay. Right. I think that's the title, but you've got to find it. I mean, look, it is a like a... Um, I think it's a break. Well, actually, I asked my son what was it about, and he said it's a breakup song. I don't mean it from that. I just love the chorus line where it's I ain't no little girl and I'm not going to let. There's just some There's just some words in there that are fantastic. Something so I haven't that. loved it for the fact that that's okay. what it is. All right. So, look, I, George, I, I don't know if you agree, but Cindy's got so much good stuff. Yeah. I and and there is another back. part to your story, which mm. we should make a part two of our podcast oh, with you yep. because the I second like part of your story is uh, is even more amazing than the first part yeah. because it's a different part of your story. So if we can, can we get you back in? I would love to share the personal story yeah. that I've kept quiet because I'm determined to to make this business work and to look after my family. So. I don't thank have you. any problem in doing that. Okay, thank, thank you. And besides, besides that, you make Brett and I look very good. Yeah, <laughs> gee, it made it. I was, only, I was thinking that in my head. What do you mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, the shining light in this room today. <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were just. I was just thinking in my head. This has been so easy. Yeah, it's always yeah, good yeah. when you know we look. We've only done a half a dozen yeah. podcasts. Are we still so on it? Yeah, we're we still are. On air. That's all right. And, and, and we're we're transparent with our listeners yep. as well. But I, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to interview somebody because it's, we're new at it. Mm. Yep. Um, but sometimes you get somebody like you that we don't have to do anything. We yeah, but we, but this is about storytelling, and yeah. we just had the most amazing conversation. Mm. And that's why I said to you, you, might as well just turn it on now because if we keep talking like this, mm. I'll be, you know, I'll be comfortable. But if you ask me very specific questions, like I just remembered I forgot I was supposed to answer that one, um, I'll, I'll get a bit thrown and then it won't be, you know, as easy to do. Well, it was the same with Lee Holmes, who's mm. a friend of yours and yeah. a friend of mine. Her, 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 her interview was good too. But, yeah. then, but then a couple of the others have been a bit more challenging. But, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so thanks a lot. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for that, that's in. all right. But, I mean, if you, yeah. once again, if you do it from your heart, because you're doing what you love, it's easy. Well, we decided for a, we wanted to get stories out there, yeah. real people's stories, yeah. because there's a lot. You often hear the big stars or the yeah. big business stars, the Richard Bransons, and that, and love them. They're great, but they get lots of air coverage. Brands like you that should be out there for people because it's a great story. Must be so. So thank. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks for coming in. Just like a child You've made up your mind You make it look Call yourself a man
It's that time again where we talk about our sponsors. This is about the 400th take, listeners. <laughs> this is our, this is our um, for a male sponsor, Mungrel Joes. Yes, Mungrel Joes. So, hey, Brett, what keeps you going? I'm not sure what you're implying. I don't like where your mind's going with this one, Brett, but uh, without getting personal, there are many times I need a hit, and not from a bus. What keeps me going is a steaming hot cup of coffee, and not just any coffee. Ah, you must be talking about Mungrel Joe's. Yeah, our proud sponsor. Yes, that deep, rich, tasty and fulfilling coffee that perks you up, puts lead in your pencil, makes you glisten and puts hairs on your chest. But what does it do for men? Boom, boom. It brings out the mongrel in you. God, seriously, folks. Seriously, folks. Mungrel Joe's. That's my line. No, That's your line. Mungrel Joe's is the best taste experience ever it's 100 percent australian and not only is it a performance coffee it's strong and smooth like me of course george <laughs> it's the greatest coffee on earth the world's greatest coffee is it really <laughs> yes it is jump online at mongreljoes.com.au and give it a shot excuse the pun no 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 you didn't have to say that well it's you printed it on the page you're george. on you're on fire brett I am on. We fire. could have scratched that out. And just for our listeners to put put it put in a discount code, float your boat, and you will get a special discount on your first order. Remember that it's float your boat. One word. If you love coffee, you should try Mungrel Joe's. I'm telling you, folks. Aside from this great script that George wrote, <laughs> and it was so obvious you were reading it. <laughs> yes, George, it was. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> listeners, Mungrel Joe's, it's, it's the best. 